This quote by Albert Einstein is really the quote that changed everything for me because here was a guy who was brilliant and successful sharing his wise words of try not to become a person of success, but rather a person of value. And I said, wait a second, have I literally been doing it all wrong all of these years? Because I've just been trying to be successful. I thought that was the whole point of life, like become a success. Pull up a seat to the table. You are listening to the Luminary Leadership Podcast, where we elevate successful entrepreneurs into powerful leaders doing work that really matters. After working with countless entrepreneurs, I've noticed a theme. No matter the level of success achieved, they get to this place where they're asking, now what? If you're listening to this, you get it. You're craving more impact. You want to do work that means something, and you want to be known for it, too. Somewhere along the way, it wasn't just about growing a business anymore. It became time to build your legacy. Plus, building the dream at the expense of everything else that matters, family, freedom, joy, is no dream at all. The Luminary Leadership Podcast is where industry leaders come to break through to their next level of achievement, purpose, and impact. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and I'm here to raise up this generation of leaders, us, so we can do our part in raising up the next generation of little luminaries. Get ready as we break down all things entrepreneurial leadership in a way that isn't being talked about. We both know you don't just need another strategy. It's time for your breakthrough. Trust me when I tell you today's episode is going to be one of your all-time favorite episodes. Today we have the John Lee Dumas on the show, JLD. You guys know him for being the host of one of the absolute best top podcasts of all time, Entrepreneurs on Fire. He turned it into a media empire that generates over a million listens every month and seven figures of net annual revenue, eight years in a freaking row, with over 100, like catch these numbers, over 100 million listens of his 3,000 plus episodes. So yeah, he was the guy that was launching a podcast episode every day. This guy has blazed a path in entrepreneurship, in podcasting, and you guys don't want to miss today's episode because he has his first traditionally published book coming out, The Common Path to Uncommon Success. And we talk about it today and he breaks down some of the major pillars of this book. You guys got to get your hands on it. You want to go to uncommonsuccessbook.com. All this stuff is going to be linked, but let me tell you, today's episode is going to blow your mind. He goes into the detail of the power behind his message in this book. And it's what he used to grow one of the most successful podcasts of all time, one of the most successful entrepreneurial brands of all time. You guys know and love John Lee Dumas already, but you need to hear the myth, the man, the legend himself on today's episode. This was one of my all-time favorite interviews. I had a blast talking to JLD. Here we go. Let's get to the show. John, a fellow New Englander, welcome to the show. You know, born and raised in Maine, went to school in Providence, Rhode Island, specifically PC. You will never see me back in those areas, in those states between October and May. It is a wise choice on your part. (laughs) I grew up in New Hampshire and we would frequent Maine, but like you said, the summers are, are when you want to go there. Oh, yeah. 
great summers. Love the fall, the Christmas in the air, the leaves changing. It's wonderful. And listen, you know, back then I used to go skiing in the winter. So life was good up at Sugarloaf. We had a ski on ski off condo there. So, you know, we made it happen. Yeah. It's good memories, but it's good. It's probably better memories in Puerto Rico in the wintertime. Yes. I am now a warm blooded human being. <laughs> you're a diva, is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm so bougie. <laughs> we'll take it. I'm so excited to have you here because, one, I've been listening to your show for, for a year, for what feels like decades, but it's been years. And I've been digging into your incredible book. And I want to talk about that today, kind of pick your brain, peel back the layers of the onion of how this idea came to be and ask you some specific questions that I think will really serve our audience in a big way. That sound good? I would love that. So one of the things you talked about early in the book that really struck me was this idea of how experts today are benefiting from keeping things really complicated in the world of entrepreneurship. And they're, to use your words, they're remaining as those gatekeepers, the ones that hold the secret sauce that will have you continue to pay pay them for that answer to what we as entrepreneurs need to get to the next level. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like, what did you mean by it? What are you seeing in the industry? And what do you think is the real truth behind that? So first off, there are amazing experts out there in the world delivering so much value, doing so many great things. And I love them all. But at the same time, there are those individuals and the red flags you kind of mentioned um, are, you know, listen, the path to success, it's secrets, you know, it's complicated, it's hidden, but for $1,997.97, I can unlock the path for you. And listen, it is just not the truth. The path to whatever your version of uncommon success is, your path to financial freedom and fulfillment, it is a very common path. Believe me, I've been on this path for a decade. I've interviewed over 3,000 successful entrepreneurs over the past 10 years. I have learned from every single one of those successful entrepreneurs, and we all have one thing in common. We have a very common path that we have trod upon to get to our different versions of uncommon success. We all have a different version, but we've all taken a very common path to get there. In fact, when I really wanted to boil down like what I've learned from these 3,000 plus uh, successful entrepreneurs I've interviewed and get it onto a piece of paper, it was 17 core foundational principles. Like I literally was like, there might be 400 of these things when I started off, like in just downloading everything. And, and, but it was, it was not. It was 17 core foundational principles that all successful entrepreneurs share. And I put those... 17 principles into a roadmap chronologically step by step and I wrote a book and that's my story. And we can wrap it up there. Hi. <laughs> I I want to go back in time a little bit because this is kind of one of those scenarios where you know people see you're going to they're going to see your book come out. I guarantee it's going to make a big splash and then make a ripple effect in the world with the content that's within it. And people will have that illusion of like Look at him. Like at some point, he became an overnight success. I want to talk about the journey there for a minute. And there was something that you mentioned in the book of this idea that you weren't living a life of value or service or gratitude, and you were focused more on the money or the fame or the notoriety or the you know being validated in your work. At some point, you must have come across this realization of like, oh my gosh, this is not 
success. Like I've been defining this incorrectly. So can you talk a little bit about the path before you came to that realization and what that looked like? And then maybe what that tipping point was for you when you had that aha moment of, wait a minute, I'm looking at this through the wrong lens. Well, after those 18 glorious months in Maine, um, I went to Providence College on an army scholarship. So I spent four years as a cadet. And then I did a eight-year active duty component. Actually, four years were active duty and four years in the active reserves. And during that time, you know, I had a 13-month tour of duty in Iraq. I was a tank commander in charge of four tanks, 16 men, you know, in Fallujah, Iraq, like real deal, Holyfield stuff. Learned a lot there and really did kind of learn one thing, which was, you know, I definitely want to be in a situation where I can be financially free because like that I can dictate my own terms and I don't have to necessarily be, you know, in an environment where I'm putting myself at like life or death risk you know, just to make a buck, so to speak. So when I got out, I was like, I'm going to go make a lot of money. So I went to law school and I hated it. And I dropped out. I tried corporate finance because I thought you could be really financially successful there. And after a year, I walked out the door. I just quit. You know, I tried real estate, both residential and commercial. None of it was working for me. I just wasn't finding any success. And to your direct question, like there was a moment that happens at 32 years old. So to be very clear, what I just went through was six years of struggle. So from 26 to 32, I did all those things that failed. The law school, the corporate finance, the real estate. Not six weeks, not six months. That was six years of struggle. But at 32, I started educating myself by reading the right books, by listening to the right podcasts. And this quote by Albert Einstein is really the quote that changed everything for me because here was a guy who was brilliant and successful sharing his wise words of try not to become a person of success, but rather a person of value. And I said, wait a second, have I literally been doing it all wrong all of these years? Because I've just been trying to be successful. I thought that was the whole point of life, like become a success. And then I was like, well, what does he mean by becoming a person of value? What does that even mean? And I realized I was missing something if I didn't even know what being a person of value meant. And so it was in that moment, I committed to myself, I am going to become a person of value. And I did not know what that meant. I did not know what that looked like at the time, but it planted a seed that then did sprout to launching Entrepreneurs on Fire, which you know over the past decade has now grown to you know, a media empire of 3,000 plus episodes, 100 million listens, 1.4 million listens every single month. Um, you know, over 91 months in a row now of over $100,000 of net profit. So financially successful as well. It all came from that one quote, from that one idea of, well, what would it actually look like to become a person of value? And like, to your point of like, not, you know, it's, it, it did not happen overnight. In fact, I start, I launched a podcast and I recorded 400 episodes before I made any real money. I mean, I made like, $27,000 the first year of doing a daily podcast. And like, not that that's a small amount, like, but you know, that would have been, you know, challenging to live the kind of life that I was looking to live if that had continued until I hit that inflection point. And then the revenue started coming in at a much higher level, but not overnight. Like, that was, you know, a long time in the making. And like, a quote that I love is all overnight successes are 10 years in the making. So was that moment when you kind of had that light bulb moment, I remember reading in the book about you were kind of seeing 
how other podcasters were doing it. And you're listening to these people, you know, interview successful people. And you're like, man, I kind of want to binge this stuff. Like I would be listening in every day. So from that need in the market, you created Entrepreneurs on Fire. Was that kind of your first true action step in becoming that person of value? Like you saw a need that you were filling through this new channel? That's exactly what it was is because I love the medium of podcasting. Like I got it right away as a consumer, just as a listener. Like I understood that like, wow, this is special. This is free. This is on demand. This is targeted content. You can listen to what you want, where you want. And you know, it doesn't cost a dime. Like this is amazing. Because at the time I was living in San Diego, driving around, like being forced to listen to the San Diego Padres on sports talk radio, which I had no interest in or turning, you know, to the top 40 and hearing Miley Cyrus talking about, you know, partying the USA, like it's a great song once, but like, you know, 100 times, like, come on. So I was like, wow, like how are more people not just like consuming podcasts like this all the time? Because like now I'm like almost looking forward to getting into my car and commuting to work because I get to listen to these great, inspiring, awesome conversations. It's like, it's unbelievable. And then I started asking myself, well, how could I get more involved with this? And then, you know, the one question that I asked that was so meaningful and so insightful in hindsight, I didn't know it at the time, but I said, well, like, what is missing in the podcast world that I really wish existed? And when I sat down and tried to answer that question, you know, a lot of like little things came up. But the biggest thing was, well, when I complain to other people about podcasts, it's always about how the shows that I like the most are just coming out with one episode per week. Like these people are interviewing successful entrepreneurs and each one of those 25, 35 minute conversations are so unbelievably valuable. But like, I got to wait six days after I listen to one for the next episode to be published. Like where's the daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs so that every morning when I wake up and I'm about to go into my J-O-B, like I know there's a fresh episode waiting for me with an inspiring entrepreneur. And when that show did not exist. And I looked in the directories for it and it wasn't anywhere. I said, well, I've heard about this other quote by Gandhi that says, be the change you want to see in the world. And I'm like, I can be that change. I can be that change in this world. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. Um, but you know, it set me off on a journey to launch the first daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. Which makes my brain explode because you know I have a show that launches twice a week and I feel like, oh, some weeks it's like, man, how the getting this content. So I give you all the props for the fact that you found a system to batch those episodes and make sure that that value was coming out into the market. Do you feel like that's kind of where entrepreneurs are going wrong or why there's a pretty significant percentage of entrepreneurs that are failing is because they're not looking for that value that they can add in the market, but instead, you know, coming from the angle of like, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? What can I create that's going to serve me versus turning outward and, and seeking to serve others? Why I believe most entrepreneurs are struggling, those that are, is because of one simple sentence. They are not providing the best solution to a real problem. Those people who are providing the best solution to a real problem are winning because people will beat a path to your doorstep when you provide the best solution because they want the number one solution. They don't want the second best, the 10th best, the 400th best. They want the number one solution to a real problem. And if you can provide that, you will win. And people do not understand that. And instead, they're just launching weak, pale imitations of other entrepreneurs and they're failing 
as a result because nobody wants a weak pale imitation of somebody else that's successful. They want the person that's successful. Like they're already getting it from that person. So you've got to look at life that way. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is? You know, there's so many entrepreneurs out there starting their own businesses, starting podcasts. What is the underlying thing that they want to achieve more than anything in their life? Like, we know what they say they want. They want money or freedom or this or that. But like, what's, what do you think the thing is that's really driving them? Well, they all want different things and that's mm -hmm. fine. Like that's the surface level. Like you want different things than I want and I want different things than X, Y, and Z person wants. And like that's surface level one. But when you really go down six layers and you say like, what is it that you really, really want? You want freedom. You really want the freedom to do these three things. What you want to do, where you want to do it, with whom you want to do it with. If you have those three things working for you, you have that freedom, you have that success, you have achieved a lot of what you want to achieve. Because guess what? That is exactly the things that people crave when they don't have it. When people aren't doing what they want, they're craving the ability to do what they want. When they're not where they want to be, they're craving to be where they want to be. And when they're not you know, with who they want to be with, they're craving to be with who they want to be with. And when you can put all those three things together and be living that specific life, you've got it. You've got it made. That was one of the greatest gifts. My, I would say my first true business mentor of maybe 10 years ago told me was that exact, those three things you talk about. Yeah, it's a John Maxwell quote. It's yeah. it's it's classic. Yeah, and it's just it's so true. I mean, we we comes down to those three things and feeling like we are significant in the pursuit of it. Like we are making our impact on the world as we pursue those three levels of freedom that we all want so deeply because when we don't have that, that's when that's when the grass always feels greener, right? Like we we're craving it. Yeah, and one thing I'll kind of add to that real quick before we move on is like sure. once you've achieved those three things, like which I have now for years, like I'm every day doing what I want to do, where I want to do it, with whom I want to do it with. Once you've achieved those three things, then it becomes going from that success to significance. And like mm -hmm. that's a really cool transition that you can then happily spend the rest of your life, you know, going after. Yeah, it becomes about something so much bigger than you in this moment. I've loved Hal Elrod's stuff for a while now. <clears throat> and you highlighted him as one of the successful entrepreneurs that you interviewed in the book. And I didn't know that piece of his story that there was a point in time where he lost everything, you know, and the recession and all. So it's, it got my wheels turning because it reminded me that sometimes we all have mountains to climb to get to that freedom you talk about, to the significance beyond that freedom. But sometimes we forget that we don't get to start just at sea level. Like we don't get to start climbing that mountain just from a simple, easy base. We're often down in the valley. And so we're at a deficit, right? From where maybe other people might be or where we used to be or where we want to be. And it takes even more belief and even more action and hard work to build that momentum, to be able to climb that mountain with that force working against you. Uh, have there been times in your growth process, similar to Hal, where you felt like you were building with the wind completely against you, like you were at a deficit versus propelled from this launching pad where, you know, it felt easier or like you felt less friction in the pursuit of what you were going for. During my six years of struggle, 
like when I was in law school, I felt like I was at a deficit. I was so far behind everybody else. When I was in corporate finance, when I was in real estate, I was just like, I'm joining the game, but I'm like already 10 points behind. I'm like running in a race that people started a year ago, a decade ago. And I just wanted to be part of something new. I wanted to actually like have what I kept hearing, which is like this first mover advantage. Like to me, that was like so elusive, but it's always so possible. And like, there's like to kind of jump ahead a little bit. There's so many people that come to me and they're like, John, I just like, I just missed the podcasting, you know, like thing back in the day. And I'm like, well, A, you didn't because like, as long as you follow my advice, which you'll probably ignore, but follow my advice of becoming the single best solution to one real problem, your podcast will win. Um, if you don't follow the device, it will probably lose. Um, but there's always the next thing coming, like mm -hmm. right over the horizon. So be ready for it and jump on it when it's right for you. Like, again, what have we seen even over the past like seven or eight years? It's like Meerkat then Periscope. And then there's like, you know, TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and all these things. And what's the most recent thing that's, that's a big fad right now is Clubhouse. And it's like, these are all opportunities to like jump on and be a first mover advantage and like create, like, you know, carve out your part of that pie, which is there and it's abundant and it's available for everybody. And it's always, always there. And like, that's what I finally saw at 32 years old after that Albert Einstein quote, like backslap me in the face was, okay, I'm going to become a person of value. I don't really know what that means right now, but you know, I'm just going to plant the seed to become a person of value. And that's what I did. Can we go talk about your principles a little bit, like the 17 steps in the roadmap? Sure. The first, first one I really loved but I want to break it down with you a little bit. So in your common path to uncommon success, it begins with a big idea. And I think sometimes people live there forever. Like they're the big idea people, they're the dreamers. But I'm sure that you've seen mistakes made in regards to this principle. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I think everybody who lives there in the big idea is making a massive mistake because it's almost impossible to just live in your big idea and win. And I'll explain why. So number one, listen, there's a reason why step one, chapter one is identifying your big idea. Because first off, most people are going to die never having identified their big idea. And A, that's just very sad because we need more people identifying their big idea, loving their big idea, living their big idea, being in their zone of fire. We need more people doing that because that's an amazing human being. But the problem is a lot of people will like, identify their big idea. It's not, it's not like it's this profound concept. But but when you identified your big idea, there's a problem. It's a great idea. And I really mean that. Like your big idea is going to be a great idea. Other people have had your great idea as well. It's a, it's a big world out there. And your competition is going to be fierce up there in this big idea, which is good because that's proof of concept. That means your idea is valuable. But now don't walk like a lamb into slaughter. Mm -hmm. That's where you're going to lose. And a lot of people will try to do that. And I'll give you my specific, uh, specific example in a second. What you need to do is discover the niche within your big idea that is not currently being served. Identify a void within your big idea that is not being filled and then fill that void. Be that solution to that problem that's being ignored. That's how you're going to discover the niche that you can serve to get that initial momentum, that initial traction, those first true 10, 20, then 100 true fans that's so hard to get as an entrepreneur. You can get it by doing that, by identifying your big idea and then discovering the niche within that has a void that you can fill, that has 
a problem that you can solve that's being ignored by the current marketplace. So what was my big idea? I'm going to launch a podcast. I love this medium. Okay, there's tens of thousands of podcasts, even back in, in 2012. Now there's millions. Well, what if I do a business podcast? Okay, well, there's hundreds of business podcasts out there. So there's still a lot. What if I did a business podcast that interviews entrepreneurs? Okay, now we're getting somewhere. There's seven. Did I want to be the eighth best interview-based podcast of entrepreneurs? No. Did I want to be the eighth best? <laughs> so I said, let me just niche down one more time. What is an underserved part of this market or a void that needs to be filled? My biggest complaint was that nobody had a daily podcast. And so I said, I'm going to 10x the quantity of every other of my competitors. Those other seven are doing four a month. I'm doing 30. I am literally going to do 9x their quantity. Like, boom, right off the bat. Like, I'm just going to do it. And that made me the best daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs the day that I launched. Yes, I was also the worst. I was the only. How can you do the same in your big idea, discovering the niche within? Because believe me when I say the higher the barrier, the lower the competition. And I set the barrier so high in my niche of doing a seven-day week podcast, I didn't just have low competition. I had no competition. Like nobody was willing to put in the work to do it. Right, like right. you heard Elizabeth, like she, you know, does everything she can just to get to two. You know, like when I figured out how to do seven for five and a half years for 2,000 days in a row. That's the power of focus. And that's the power of going all in. And it allowed me to build a moat around my business because a lot of people struggle right now, Elizabeth, because they do come up with a really good idea. And some of them even niche down. But guess what? Their big idea, even that niche, it's easily replicated. And so they start having success because they're doing all the right things. But because it's easily replicated, the masses pour in when they see that you're having success. They can smell it like a shark smells blood. And guess what? Now it's saturated and everybody loses, including you, because everybody's doing it and there's no way to differentiate because it's easily to be replicated. You've got to have a high barrier for low competition. So like I made it so hard for people to quote unquote copy me or follow me because it was so much work. It just wasn't, wasn't capable of being done. Yeah. I, you've got my wheels turning about the stuff that we have coming down the pike for us just making sure that we're taking how this it, concept and how owning it. do you not make it easily replicatable? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You've given me some homework now. Boom. All right. So of those 17 steps in the roadmap, not saying that us as parents, meaning me, have a favorite child or anything. Yes, you do. You have which, a favorite child. How many, how many kids do you have? I have three. Yeah, you won't say it. You won't say it publicly. I won't say you, it may publicly. Even, you may not even say it consciously, but subconsciously, you have a favorite. I say it consciously. I just you do. don't say it aloud consciously. <laughs> yeah. See, you're one of my favorites for even just admitting <laughs> that that's the truth. Just don't tell them. They don't listen to my show, so it's listen. Totally fine. You love all of your kids. We know that. It's okay to have a favorite. Yes. So tell me your favorite child of the 17 steps. Not even a close second. Listen. Mm. There are 17 steps in this roadmap, 71,000 words, 273 pages. The average chapter is 3,550 words, pretty average chapter lengths. Chapter seven, step seven, 13,500 words, 13,500 words. It could be a business book by itself. It's not, it's, it's just chapter seven, step seven. 
design your content production plan. Like Elizabeth, Talk to I'm, me about this. I'm not going to call you out here because okay. listen, you've got a lot going on. Um, you've got three kids. You have your podcast, which is twice per week, which is a very good frequency. I recommend a lot of people do twice per week. I think it's a great frequency. You have other things going on in your business. Again, when I was doing my seven-day podcast, I was doing nothing else. It was my 100% focus. Like I was barely talking to Kate, you know? <laughs> so I mean, like that was it. Like, so, you know, you had to make some sacrifices when you're doing something like a seven-day podcast, which again, I do not think is the formula to success for most people because you're building a different business than I was building. So designing a content cr uh, creation plan, when I finished this chapter, I stepped back and I said, wow. I knew like pretty well that this was the reason why we've netted $100,000 of profit or more 91 months in a row with three virtual assistants and me and Kate. Like I knew that this was the reason our content production plan, but now I, I really get it. I mean, it took me like weeks to write this single chapter, just poured everything into it creating and designing a content production plan. It is so critical. And I'll tell you, our content production plan is fantastic. Yours, and I don't mean yours, Elizabeth. I'm talking about in general, so I guess I'm including yours. Mm -hmm. But in general, yours, everybody that's listening and hearing my voice has a terrible content production plan. It's just you know, comparatively, it's terrible. And I'm not saying that to offend you because listen, I wish somebody had told me earlier when mine was terrible that it was terrible because mine was terrible for a long time. And I had to slowly and steadily over a decade improve it, learning the hard way, making mistakes to where I now have a fantastic content production plan. And listen, it's not going to come overnight, but it will come with you studying 13,500 words that I literally lay out everything you need to know about designing your specific content production plan, not just copying ours because ours won't work for you because we have a different business than everybody else has this right. watching and listening to this. But I teach you how to create your content production plan, how to design it around your business, your life, so that you can eventually, if you, this is something you want, you know, be running a business like I'm running, which is I work hard five days per month not five days per week. I work really hard five days per month. My days are whoosh, packed. The other 25 days, there is nothing on my calendar, nothing on my schedule. You cannot get on my calendar because I'm doing other things. Like like Elizabeth, actually, I'm big into like health and wellness. I'm big into you know getting into the biohacking, like starting to really tweak on the things that matter. I've got a cold plunge coming in two weeks. I can't wait. You know, I'm in my infrared sauna every single day, seven days a week. Me too. You know, I've got supplements upon supplements over here. Like I've got my own functional medicine doctor. Like I'm doing all the things. And I spend a lot of time doing that. And I love it. I mean, you can see the book in blue right behind her head, Boundless. That is a, a, a Bible of a book right there when it comes to, you know, health and wellness. And it, it takes a while to go through. I mean, you can't just read that thing. Like you've got to like read a page, implement, <laughs> read right. a page, implement. And I'm able to do that because I've designed an amazing, at this point in my life, content production plan. And I want that for everybody. Because you know maybe you're going to want to be like Gary Vaynerchuk and run a 900-person company. And that's awesome too. But no matter what you're doing from one end of the spectrum to the other, your life will be better when you've designed an amazing content production plan. Mm, preach. Okay. So sounds like 
chapter seven, step seven is worth the price of admission alone. I mean, that could be a separate business book itself. Like I said, I mean, that is just buckle in for that one. I'm I'm so ready for it because that's something that we've taken on like full bore over the last couple of years. And when I tell you the different, it, I don't know if you felt this way, John, but when I finally shifted and I'm excited to read it because I'm guaranteed I can improve mine tenfold. But 100%. when I finally shifted into having this production plan and had a way of repurposing content that I wasn't taking care of someone else was like, I was just kind of the thought leader dropping the content down. And then it was all flowing from there. There was this like three month period where I didn't know what to do with myself because I finally opened up my schedule again. Like I felt <laughs> like, I feel like I should be doing something. Like, yeah. Like, no, I've right had those day? days too. I've been like, wait a second. What do I do? Yeah. What do I do? And then you find out there's always plenty of things plenty. to do. You know, you just find that, you know, not work things necessarily that you don't want. I, I'm again, I'm, you know, spending more time with my dog. You know, I'm out by my pool and I'm reading right. books that I love pleasure wise, but also like health and wellness books and like all the things. So, yeah, you'll find time. I yeah. mean, when you have three kids too, you'll always, you'll always yeah. have time. Yeah. They fill my time. They're like, oh, you have a down minute. Oh, you're working. I'll come right in. And <laughs> what are their ages right now? So, five. My middle one just turned four and I have a newly two-year-old. So we are in the thick of the hmm. shit, shit show circus. Well, I don't know we can swear. That's cool. <laughs> um, um, by yeah, the way, I live when you're, when you're ready mm -hmm. to keep the money that you, that you're making, like you're working so hard and you know, for at least six months of the year, you're working for the government because you're having to pay all the taxes. You don't have to sell me. I'm moving to Puerto Rico. Bring your kids, not that you leave them behind, but it is Disney World for kids down here. Like it is amazing, like how many families are moving here with like three, four, five kids, all yeah. under the age of 10. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's every family that moves here now is like coming with like three plus kids, period. Every wow. family. That's amazing. Yeah. I, uh, I know a bunch of people down in Puerto Rico. So I was down, that's where I met Kate, your lovely Kate, was wow. at Selena Sue's mastermind. And have met some other people in Puerto Rico who have just been raving about it and being like, it's time. Come I back actually tell people, I say, I say, do not move to Puerto Rico until you're ready to keep the money you make. Like you yeah. should really stay where you are. But when you're ready to keep the money you make, then come on down. Yeah. Well, I prefer to hemorrhage my money and just set it <laughs> right that's out the, the door. That's the best word I've ever heard about that is hemorrhage because that's exactly what I have of yeah. my money. Just literally yeah. hemorrhaging right out. Like, you're, you're looking at a guy that wrote multiple seven-figure checks multiple years in a row. Oh, and I just am like, man, I love writing big fat checks to the causes that I love. And I've mm -hmm. done that. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've... Kate and I have been out of Guatemala to like open the schools that we've built down there. And like, that is how I love writing checks, writing a check, you know, uh, for that California pothole. No, not interested. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> what? That doesn't like light you up and make you feel like doesn't a light good me person. Up. Doesn't light me up. Oh, I'm with you on that. Uh, so yeah, you've got, you got me thinking about that for sure. You're not the, the first one. And I feel like <laughs> it is something worth considering. I love going down there though. I haven't been with my kids yet. So it's good to know that it's kid friendly. Oh, it's so kid friendly. Although I have heard that the customer service is, is questionable at best. In oh, some at best. There's <laughs> so much opportunity for people to come down here and just do just the basics and they'll win at such a high level.
Mm, that's funny. Let's start with a low standard and then we'll go on. <laughs> have, have very low expectations, please. Totally. Um, okay. So I know some of the listeners tuning in want to launch a book someday. So just give us like some, I'm sure it's super robust of the process, but any tips that are like, here are the big things you want to consider before you take this on and what that experience has been like for you. Yeah. I'm definitely no book writing or launching expert. I mean, this is my first traditionally published book. I have created these three gems over the years, the Freedom, Mastery, and Podcast Journal. So I had a lot of knowledge about self-publishing, which was my comfort zone. And I like to practice what I preach, Elizabeth. So I went outside of my comfort zone and signed you know, a big old fat deal with HarperCollins, a $350,000 advance to be specific, to write my first traditionally published book. And you know, it's been a really cool process. There's been some cons as well, you know, like th- just the time it takes to work, you know, with traditional publishers, you know, is you just got to factor it in as part of the process. But there's a lot of pros to like having professional editing and actually a publisher and like a book launch team that actually knows what they're doing and, you know, all these different things. So, you know, you've got to weigh the pros and cons. So that's kind of what my main point is though, is like your first decision is like, are you going to sell publish? Or are you going to go the traditional route? Or by the way, there are some hybrid routes now that you can do where like you're not going to get necessarily an advance, but you will get like some support and you know, potentially like a bigger percentage payout on each book sale. So you can definitely weigh the pros and cons, you know, depending on like what you know makes sense for you. I went the traditional route, which is a long, you know, I I, I like signed the deal in like August of 2019. Wow. And like the book's coming out now in March of 2021. So it's like it's a process. Like, and then, you know, it gave me time though, because I wanted to like write the right book. So I woke up every day for eight months in 2020 and I wrote two hours in this book for 480 total writing hours. Like it was a significant time investment. That's how long it took me to write the 71,000 words, the 273 pages that comprise this book. And, you know, now we're in book promo mode and, um, you know, we're going with our strengths. You know, I'm making the big podcast, you know, promotional tour. Like I'm not going to cities to like go to bookstores and like, you know, wave, you know, at people. I mean, obviously COVID makes that a little more difficult now, but I don't even think I'd do that even if that never existed in this world. It's just not my strength. Like I'm doing 54 interviews this week oh on God. other shows. Last month I did 139. No, actually 143. Kate just counted for February. So I was getting warmed up. Um, now March, this is this is the month I did. I'm doing 54 this week, um, of which I've probably done like like maybe 45 so far. So like I'm on the home stretch. So you know, you're saving, getting saving the best for last. Here. And it is true, by the way. It's like I get better with every interview that I do, even throughout the day, because that's who I am. Like this mm-hmm. is my zone of fire. Like I love talking to amazing people like yourself, and these these conversations light me up. They feed me energy. There's a lot of people, most people, in fact, by a long shot, I think actually 90% of people, if I was to guess, you know, consider themselves introverts and it's tough for them. Like Kate couldn't do two interviews in a day. Mm-hmm. I did 19 interviews yesterday. Like we're opposites there. Like, and I'm better on number 19 than I was on number one. Cause I'm like an energy vampire, like feeding off of all of my unsuspecting podcast hosts. You know, it's like one of the things. <laughs> That's so, why I'm you know, so tired right now. Yes. And, just, uh, and it's just been a great experience. You know, I've been getting, um, you know, really been calling in a lot of 
the reciprocity favors I've, you know, kind of built up over the years. Like, you know, Selena Sue's been a massive supporter of the book. She made a huge bulk buy, did all these other things, you know, because, you know, sent out an email uh, blast about the book, which drove a ton of book sales, um, you know, because I've had on the podcast multiple times and like helped her share her voice, her message with the world, you know, brought, made her, you know, if not potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars through her courses, impacting millions and, and other things. Um, you know, we're just going to say, you know, just because I want to, that the only reason you ever heard about Selena Sui is because of me. Like, let's just go with that. And like, you know, <laughs> that is an example of like, you know, now me kind of calling in, you know, these, these favors and this reciprocity I built up over the years. So that's kind of like a, a, a little overview of like what I've been dealing with, with this book launch. And um, it's a lot of work. It's worth it. I, I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of, uh, going back to the adding value, I have to tell you that you have chosen incredibly wisely in your bride to be because talk about adding value. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Kate over the last year and we've gone back and forth a bunch of times. I've had her on the show and she's been so generous of giving her wisdom and time to me that I keep asking. I'm like, Kate, what can I do? For She's like, no, just let me do this. Like, I'm enjoying it. I love going back and forth. I love jamming <laughs> about this stuff. I'm like, you're just amazing. And she's just so down to earth and so humble in the process. But she's also been instrumental because we have some big changes coming within our company and launching a new company. And Whoa. she's just been like a, a an amazing resource and, you know, sounding board for me. So you guys really align on that whole living a life of value thing. I adore her and I'm, you know, grateful to have her in my world for sure. Awesome. She'll love to hear that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I know people are going to want to connect with you more. They're going to want to get their hands on this book, which we'll link to everything in the show notes for those listening. They're going to want to support you. I think that's a big thing that I love about our listeners is like they want to support truly, mm, not just that. in the sense of I want to buy the book and read it for myself, but I, I, I love this guy. I want to I want to help him in his mission. So tell us how we can do those things, connect with you, support you more deeply with this book launch, cheer you on, you know, come find you, all that stuff. Well, send all the good vibes. I, I accept all good vibes. So first off, thank you for that. Um, secondly, if you want to connect with me, I mean, our website is eofire.com. That's where all those income reports are that we've been producing over the past 91 months. Um, my podcast is Entrepreneurs on Fire, which you can check out at any directory, over 3,000 episodes. So if you get a long cross-country road trip, you can just dive right in and just hit the play button. You can check out at UncommonSuccessBook.com. You'll also find the endorsements there from Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, Neil Patel, Erica, Mandy, Dory Clark, amazing people in their industries. And there's a chapter of the book there you can read and just kind of see like if you like my writing style. Um, there's a video of me jumping in my pool here in Puerto Rico and then telling you more details about the book, UncommonSuccessBook.com. Amazing. Okay. I'm going to link to all of that in the show notes for our listeners. And I'm also going to link to your social media channels so they can find you there and support you along the way. But this has been an absolute pleasure. I have been loving the book and I appreciate you taking the time to show up on this show. I hope today's episode gave you exactly what you needed. And if it spoke to you, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next juicy episode. And don't be shy. I don't bite often. So come connect with me over on Instagram at Eliz Hartke. And if there's a topic or a question, a guest you want to hear on the show or an idea you have for us, just reach out and share your thoughts. 
We do this for you, so the more you tell us, the more we can serve. We pick a luminary each week from our social posts. So if you want to be entered into our Luminary of the Week drawing, then comment, save, and share the Instagram post from this episode. We want to lead and spoil you. Thank you for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate you. So tune in next time to keep building that legacy and doing the work that really matters.